Hi, I'm Karina. I'm the Music Ministry Director at Every Nation Auckland City. We are a multicultural, multi-generational, socially responsible church that makes disciples. We hope this message inspires you to honour God and make disciples. Happy New Year! There we go. What makes what makes what makes 2024 different or who wants 2024 to be different to 2023? Can I get you to put your hand up? Isn't that true? Like seriously, like this is not just following the past, but like I'm done with 2023. I'm done with leaving all the dregs and the drama of the previous year and embracing something new. Isn't that right? Who's excited? Who's really excited? You know you, your arm is connected to the brain and you know you can make a decision to move that thing. Okay, who's excited about 2024? That's right. <laughs> we always, always need super coaching, right, to get actually moving. But we do it very well for many, many other things. Well, why, why are we excited about a new year? Why are we excited about 2024? Maybe it is the fact that it's a new calendar year. Maybe a change of year helps to reset and, as I say, leave behind the, the drama, maybe the disappointments of the previous year. Or maybe we're excited about a new year because we got a holiday. The schedule goes down, the stress levels go down, and we get that much-needed vitamin D to put on that beautiful glow with your lip chapstick and all the other stuff that we like to do these days. Or maybe, maybe we're excited about a new year because it offers all kinds of positive changes, opportunities for change, to refocus those goals, to hit the gym. Anybody been in that gym yet? Maybe to, well, that's impressive. Maybe, maybe to adjust the schedule in some way. Maybe to realign and prioritize relationships. You do realize not every relationship around you is a good one. Not every relationship around you needs to actually be held on to. Sometimes boundaries and even distance can be, I mean, who knows, but you'll know it's a new year. It's an opportunity. There's a sense of freshness for new things, right? Or maybe if you're like me, it's a chance to get a new journal. You head on down to Whitcalls and you've got a particular format. I like the A5 one-page-per-day journal. And I've managed to purchase myself a new one already. It's a very masculine one with flowers all over the front cover. Like my shirt today, I brought it actually, but I thought, that's a bit naff. Don't do that, Richard. But maybe like me, and actually, if you're like me, you've written in there, I've actually put there, to try to eliminate self-inflicted rush. Honestly, to stop eating so much sugar. And confession to eliminate and eradicate constant, uncontrollable late-night scrolling on social media. Does this resonate with anybody in the room? That's Richard's life. Please pray for your pastor. I've got issues, all right? And I'm working on it. That's what a new year can do. I'm excited. Maybe you're excited about a special event this year. A birth. A special someone. A graduation. A trip. My wife and I have just booked our next cruise. So looking forward to it, 2025, don't worry. It's a lot of money to save up. If you see me running around your street mowing lawns, you know what's up, okay. 
But can I tell you something? While these are good and they're probably helpful goals, honestly, can I be honest? The truth is that a real, lasting, and truly satisfying way to make 2024 different is to have a closer and deeper relationship with God. You can buy new clothes, you can get yourself a flash new hairstyle and, and maybe even change jobs or even where you live, but you're still the same person on the inside. And consumerism will tell you, buy this and everything will be fine and it's just not true. In fact, when I look at church history and I see people who have shaped the universe and the people who even wrote books of the Bible, their lives in the natural got harder, but their spiritual well-being was thriving. Maybe, maybe they discovered something that you and I need to be reminded of today. Dearly beloved, my spiritual family, May I ask a very basic question? And it's kind of challenging. Has your relationship with God grown deeper during the holiday season? You know that thing that you used to say, you know, oh, I just during the year, like I just haven't got enough time. Just haven't got enough time. Like I'm just too busy. Well, we've got to have a lot of time. Honestly, has your relationship with God grown in depth and intimacy during this last season? The next few weeks, we're going to look at the subject matter that a theologian, Richard Lint, Lintz is his name actually, he, he calls it an enduring thematic thread through all of Scripture. And it's God's holiness. As Willie, I feel like Willie and Pastor Weon kind of preached the sermon in part, it's Beautiful, maybe, maybe there's a concert going on here by the Holy Spirit. Holiness, kadosh, it's otherness, it's uniqueness. It speaks of separatedness, sacredness. It's other. He's not just a really good human on a really good day. He is outside of that. He is holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. It's, he's holy more than just holy. He's more, he is more holy. He's most holy. And the same professor, Richard Lintz, he goes on to say that holiness, get this, is the central marker of the fundamental divide between God and the sinful human creature. This is the hinge point, fundamentally between difference between God and asking. So I have this unenviable task this morning to talk about God's holiness I feel like someone's asked me for a cup of water from the Niagara Falls. Do I start in the middle? Do I start on the edges? I mean, it's hard to know even where to start. It's such a vast subject matter. I don't just mean vast theologically or intellectually, but what I mean is vast in terms of how do we even get to grips with God's core nature of being holy. But also the challenge, God bless you, my child, the challenge with, with the short time frame that I have is, is that everyone's heard of the word holy. Or oh, we've at least sung about it. Oh, you're holier than thou. 
the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit. Like, because we all kind of use the language, we think somehow we have an understanding of it. I mean, how do you define holiness? How would you define it? Is it a dress code? Is it a hairstyle? A music preference? Or, or you just don't watch R-rated movies and try hard not to swear anymore? Like, how do you define holiness? I think it's fair to say that most people would define holiness or they'd connect holiness with being a morally good person. I think that's pretty good. God is holy because he's morally perfect. This is a part of it, but it's not all of it. I love what Professor Tim Mackey of the famed The Bible Project says. He says, the Bible's idea of holiness is bigger and more rich. It's really describing how God is a creative force behind the whole universe, the one and the only being who has the power to make a world full of beauty and life. This makes God utterly unique or set apart, which is the meaning of the word holy. Psalm 96 has already been quoted and mentioned, but it is our key text. And so we're going to read it today in honor of the Word of God. And may I invite you once again to stand to your feet. Just when you're getting comfortable, then I come along. Now, I love the text. And David wrote the psalm. Most scholars would agree with that. And, and David is just overcome. He's consumed by the greatness and the grandness and the transcendence and the magnificence and utter superiority of God. He's consumed with it in his mind and his heart. And out comes, out the, led by the Spirit of God, out comes out of his body is the penning of Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. <laughs> For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble. Before him, all the earth. David's calling all of us, if you're a believer today, to worship him and acknowledge who he is and what he has done. Father, have your way. Would you move, not just in this meeting, but in our hearts. In your beautiful name I pray. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, don't take it anywhere. Just leave it right there, but please enjoy it. There's one thing I want you to see. I had such a hard time on this. Just yesterday, my wife was saying, have you finished? <laughs> I made some serious changes to the sermon just yesterday when I thought it was all done because there's so much in there and I don't have quite so much time today. There's, 
There's a lot that David's trying to say and the Holy Spirit is using him. And I'm going to pick up on the one thing. Even now, as I'm talking to you, I'm tempted to delve and just give you a glimpse into the other areas, but it's beautiful and it's something of an academic look, but it's life enriching. But there's one thing, overarching thing, that I believe the author wants you to see and he wants me to see today. The major point is that David is painting a picture of holiness or God's holiness by multiplying descriptive words. He's going through, and it's like, if you look at the words, it's, it's like accumulation. It's a stepping stone. It's, it's adding to. It's increasing in weight and depth and richness. He talks about he is glorious. He is great. He is the creator. He is majestic. He is strong. And all of it's working towards a crescendo. In fact, the great reformer, the theologian of Pastor John Calvin, he puts it so eloquently. He says, it all crescendos to the psalmist's call to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. To worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. And just in case you missed it, what David does is he puts little breadcrumbs all through it by using one name repeatedly, and that name is Lord. In fact, nine times in nine verses, every verse has at least one. He's letting you know the primary attribute, what drives his holiness, who he is intrinsically and inherently inside. He is holy. He is Lord. He's to be worshipped. He's in charge. He is absolute, has absolute authority. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. One scholar describes God's holiness this way. He says, I love this, listen up. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. <laughs> is it just me nerding out or something? Isn't that like, he hasn't got a, like a, war I went, got my warrant of fitness for my motorbike yesterday. There's a form and there's all these little things and I'm a little bit worried it's not going to pass the warrant of fitness that came through. Don't worry, but I just about died because of the large bill of $78 because of a waff, my goodness me. Anyway, there's no waff sheet in heaven where God has to go tick. He didn't get all the, he didn't tick all the boxes. He wrote the form. He is the standard. He's not a good religious person. He's God. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Another scholar puts it this way, God's holiness is the underpinning to the entire narrative arc of Scripture. His holiness means that all of the created order functions within a fixed moral order, wherein good and evil are never simply relative terms contingent upon a culture's moral taste buds. It doesn't change. And that's what we need to anchor ourselves to. We live in a decadent, destructive, evil society. We see it splashed on our television day and night and in the streets and in the music. God will never change. 
Human flourishing, he goes on to say, is it always, uh, it's always a function of delighting in what God delights in and desiring that which God desires. The closest graphic, the closest image and illustration I could give you today to help us all grasp the holiness of God is indeed that hot, glowing ball at the center of our solar system, the sun. At least three attributes are true for the sun. That is, it's unique, at least in our solar system, it's the one and only. It's powerful, really powerful, and it's the source of life. And I think it helps us today to grasp the holiness of God. He's unique, really powerful, and the source of life. And, and to take the metaphor a little bit further, the, the orbit, the, the, the space around the sun is also holy. And the, and the closer you get to the sun, the more intense the sun becomes. It's very powerful and it generates all this life, but it's so dangerous. You could get close to the sun, too close to the sun, and we would be annihilated. And in the same way, if we are pure, I kind of find this interesting. People talk about the presence of God. I felt the presence. If we really were in the presence of God, I think we might do what Isaiah did. Drop to the floor and be overwhelmed with a sense of uncleanness. So I think we should be careful with our language. I think like the idea of the presence of God, it might feel something of God, but can I tell you, if he really walked in the room, if we weren't holy, We'd be burned. If we are impure, his presence is in fact dangerous, not because he's bad, but because he's so, so good. He's so pure. He's so powerful. So in short, God is holy, yet there's something else amazing about this God. I mean, get this. He wants relationship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Now God's left a trail once again through all of Scripture, this idea of this holy being who's outside, who's separate, who's sacred, who's totally the standard of pure and if we're honest today, we'll say we are not, even on our best day. And all through the scriptures, we see the holiness of God, and yet we see him making a move for relationship. We just have to cast our attention back to the Garden of Eden, just back there in early Genesis, and we see God's holiness, do we not? I mean, first of all, he created everything. That's pretty awe-inspiring, wouldn't you agree? We make a cake and put it up on social media and think things are cool. What about the universe? The heavens? Watch pl our planet. What's that new one out by David Attenborough? Uh, the, the beautiful planet number three that's going out now on Sunday night. An incredible creativity. Still discovering stuff. Yeah, holy. And he says, because he has authority, because he, he made it all. He said, don't eat of the tree. We see the holiness of God through the Garden of Eden, but we also see relationships. He walks in the cool of the eve. He communicates. He's not some distant, stony, 
statue. He's relatable. Has conversation with Adam. And he's so gracious and so understands our condition. He says, hey, Adam, let me make for you a helper. There's so much in those earlier chapters to show us not just his holiness, but his desire for relationship. Let's move on to Moses in the burning bush. There's Mo. He's out back there. He's had a bunch of failures. He's hanging out there. You know the story really, really well. Exodus chapter 6, I believe it is. And that burning bush, boom, appears. This burning bush that doesn't consume. You see, fire always speaks of God's presence. And, and Moses sees it, and he begins to come close to the sun. And what does he say? Take off your sandals. Do not come too close, Moses, because you will vaporize, my friend. Why did God do that? The holiness is clearly there. But he comes and speaks to a man who's failed. He's committed murder. He's done all kinds of things. And God finds him. He's running away from it all. He's out back, baby. He's gone to the wop-wops. And God shows up. Holiness and relationship. We haven't got time to unpack the temple and the tabernacle of God who created it all, who's outside of it all. He, he says, build for me a structure. Let me try to summarize it. Build for me a structure. And he gave all kinds of dimensions and building codes and all of that. And they built it and they put all the tribes around him. That is to say, God's in the center of relationship. God's right there, but he's holy. And he knows that man cannot stand before a holy God unless he's pure. So you remember the construction of the temple, and there's a room called the Holy of Holies. There's incense burning, there's fire burning about the holiness of God, and there's a priest, and there's sacrifices coming. We see right there, my friend, holiness and relationship. He wanted to plant himself right in the middle, so no matter what we did, scrolling on social media, looking around, going to the movies, checking out the beaches, you couldn't do any life within the circle of the people of God without having reference to right in the center of the temple. It speaks of the presence of God. Holiness. Relationship. Even, <laughs> wow, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. What? How can you put those two things together? Hallowed be your name. He is the highest authority of all beings. Hallowed, hallowed, worshipped, holy, hallowed. How, how dare, hallowed. The highest authority and yet preceding it is the most intimate relationship, your father. Holiness, relationship, God. Is that and wants that with us. I won't talk about the vision of Isaiah chapter 6 that Willie, I believe, talked about as well. We see, I'm sure you'll agree, holiness for, sh for sure. Where's the relationship, Pastor? Ah, that takes a little bit more digging around. The coal on the lips. Like really, Isaiah, by right, should have been vaporized. The best that Isaiah could offer, because he's a prophet, remember, his mouth was his tool. The best he could offer was this thing on his best day, even after he hadn't watched that bad movie on Netflix. This is it. He'd even read his Bible every day. He's ready to go. The best he could offer was his mouth. But compared to God, it was so unclean, so decadent, 
so unholy, so impure and corrupt, it required the heat and the burning coal to cleanse. And that's a picture of the purity of God coming into a vessel of God. Relationship. Holiness. Wow. So we have, ladies and gentlemen, a big dilemma. For some of you, I want to introduce you to a new word. Conundrum. We have a big conundrum. Willie, why don't you come and join me up here? Just you at this stage, my friend. Thank you. I just like you up here beside me. Here it is. God is holy. Ready for it? I know you're looking fine. I know you're, you're looking great. You've prepared your heart. You've said a prayer. You've sung a few songs. Are you ready for it? We are not holy. This is the greatest dilemma. Not how I'm going to pay the bill. Why is my Wi-Fi so slow? This is the great dilemma. He's holy. But he loves us so intensely that he wants relationship. We're corrupt. We're impure. We're unholy. By his very nature, God is, as Pastor Weyong said, he's holy and he's just, but at the same time, he's loving and merciful. So how is God going to resolve this? What's God going to do? Because it's got to be all on him, right? Do you really think we can fix our situation? Would he merely and arbitrarily just kind of like forget our sins? Would he put aside his justice in order to show his love? Or would one half of kind of God's character of righteousness, and would, he, would he sacrifice that for the other half of being loving and kind? Just turning the other cheek. Then how? If the answer is no, 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 because God can't do that, otherwise he would break him, he could do something that he's not capable of doing. How does he reconcile? How does he solve the great dilemma? And the answer is a shocking reality that he himself would climb up on that cross and die. On the cross, we see holiness. Not one jit, not one whatever the word says in the old, not one little piece, not one speck of God's holiness or justice was diminished. In fact, it's called atonement. It's called sacrificial. It's called the satisfying the wrath of God, the purity of Jesus, a holy God, the second person of the triune God. Friend, I hope you're getting this. He got on there to satisfy because only a pure person could do it. And this is the demonstration of love that God himself would get on that cross at the same time being holy as well as being merciful, which, as always, we don't deserve. The entire punishment and penalty was paid in Jesus Christ. Divine justice was not obliterated by divine mercy, but neither was his mercy impeded by his justice. 
I hope someone's getting excited or convicted. And through repentance and faith, in the second person of the triune God here, Jesus Christ, we find forgiveness, freedom, and holiness. Jesus makes us righteous, not our good works. Jesus makes us perfectly pure in the eyes of God. Therefore, we can come nice and close and enjoy intimate relationship. I think the holiness of God in some ways has been diminished in the church generally. As we put Jesus in blue jeans and having a good time and taking away all my little pet peeves. Let us not forget as we begin our first service that he's holy. And so this begs a really super important question. Have you repented of sin and turned to the only one who can save you? Can I tell you, we stopped at verse 9 today, but David in the psalm goes on, verse 10 through to 13, and he's talking about the son who will return to judge the world. I'm not judging, the Bible judges. He's coming back to judge. There are sheep and there are goats. And those who are covered by the blood, who are pure, who have been made holy through the precious blood of, they will enjoy the presence of God in eternity. Friend, I have to say, I'm not trying to use scare tactics, but the reality is, I need to warn you, Jesus is coming back and every day is closer. And there are things happening around the world that scare me. I'm not in fear, but they concern me, I should say. He is coming back. He is going to judge. Can you pass the test? He is our great mediator. He lived the perfect life so we could live the perfect life. He died the death that we should have died. And he rose again on the third day. I want to read a beautiful scripture here in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. We're pressing against the clock, but I'm not, you're not going to let the clock rob us of this moment because I believe that many of us, maybe all of us, need this moment to come to the altar. Thank you for joining us. To know more about Every Nation Auckland City, you can visit our website, www.everynationauckland.city. For more messages like this, you can subscribe to this podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts.